Psalm 23 is one of the well-known psalms, probably the most well-known psalm in the Bible. And what we're doing is we're taking it a verse a week, maybe in some cases like today, a half a verse a week to really slow down and see what this psalm has to offer because it brings a great deal of assurance and a great deal of healing to our lives in this broken world. So Psalm 23, I'll read the entire psalm. We're gonna focus in on half of verse one. If you don't have a Bible, words will be on the screen behind me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're gonna focus on the second half of verse one. I shall not want. Back in 2014, software giant Microsoft acquired for 2.5 billion the Swedish company that had created this worldwide gaming sensation, Minecraft. And that sale made Marcus Pearson an instant billionaire with a net worth of 1.3 billion, according to Forbes. He got to work pretty quickly. He promptly outbid uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z for a mega mansion in Beverly Hills, California. It was a $70 million mansion that was said to have an overwhelming sensory experience. And the listing, it's a long listing, but I'll read some of the highlights. Uh, it had amenities like M&M towers, a movie theater, 15 bathrooms, each equipped with toilets that cost about $5,000 a piece. But on August 29th, 2015, Marcus Pearson posted a series of tweets that captured his gnawing sense of unhappiness and dissatisfaction. Here are the tweets. 4.48 a.m. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. 4.50 a.m. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want and I've never felt more isolated. 4.52 a.m. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. 4.53 a.m., found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and went with a normal person instead. Where is contentment found? It's one of life's questions probably one of the most important of life's questions. Where is contentment 
found. David, who wrote this Psalm 23, he was a king. Before he was a king, he was a lowly shepherd. So he knew what it was to be poor and a shepherd. He knew what it was to be a mighty and a rich king. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David speaks of a deep contentment here. Now, what does it mean when he says, I shall not want? It doesn't mean that he ceased to have desires. It doesn't mean that he ceased to have wants. That phrase, I shall not want, means I shall lack nothing. Now, how and why could David say that? Does contentment mean that you have everything you want? Where is contentment found? Now, we're going to start in the negative, and then we're going to move to the positive. First, contentment is not found in circumstances. It's not found in circumstances. To understand this phrase, I shall not want, we're going to look back from the time David wrote the psalm, and we're going to look forward from the time that David wrote this psalm. Looking back, we look back to the time in the wilderness when God's people were in the wilderness between Egypt, where they had been in very awful slavery in the land that God had promised them, this very bountiful land flowing with milk and honey, in between Egypt and the promised land. Now, the direct route from Egypt, where God had rescued them from, to the land he had promised was a two-weeks journey. They journeyed in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 years. Under God's guidance, under his care. But while they were in the wilderness, they didn't know where they were going. I mean, they knew that ultimately they were going to land in this land that God had promised, but day to day, they didn't know where they were going. They had to trust God. They didn't know where their next meal would come from. They had to trust that God in the desert would provide their meal. At times, they didn't even know where their next drink of water was going to come from. And they had to trust God to miraculously provide them with water. From the perspective of earthly circumstances, God's people had all kinds of needs. And yet this is what they were told in Deuteronomy 2.7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Now that's a remarkable statement because in the wilderness, from every earthly perspective, they lacked all kinds of things. Very unfavorable circumstances. And God was teaching them a lesson. He was teaching them that Contentment is not found in circumstances, but in the God who is sovereign over your circumstances. Now, we've looked back from when David wrote the psalm. Let's look forward to the apostle Paul. He writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here is speaking on both sides of the circumstantial perspective, and he experienced both. He speaks of the season of abundance. He speaks of the season of need. He speaks of the season of the most favorable circumstances that you could dream of. He speaks of the most unfavorable circumstances you could ever imagine. And Paul says, on this entire spectrum of circumstances, he says, I've learned the secret of being content on whichever side I find myself. What was the secret? He says in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, I can face all circumstances, good, bad, through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is reiterating what God's people learned in the wilderness. And that is that contentment is not found in circumstances, but in Christ who is with you in every circumstance. Soren Kierkegaard was a 19th century philosopher. He tells this parable. He says, there was once a lily who lived a happy life beside a rippling brook. This beautiful little flower in its simple surroundings was content and carefree until one day, until the day when the bird showed up. Now this feathered visitor was a show-off, a braggart and teller of tales. It would swoop in and fill the lily's head full of stories of better places and far more beautiful flowers. Each story was crafted to convey the message that in comparison to other flowers in other places, this poor lily was a nobody, a failed lily, captive to simplicity, embarrassingly inadequate. Following each visit from the bird, the lily fretted more. It couldn't sleep. It no longer woke up happy. It felt incapacitated by not enoughness. The beautiful little flower, once content, now realized in comparison with others out there in the wide world, it was ugly, it was deficient, incarcerated in its familiar surroundings, but the bird was there to help. The bird had the answer, so together they formulated a plan. Early one morning, the bird landed beside the lily and began pecking away at the soil around its roots. Now liberated, the, the lily was placed under the wings of the bird, and away they flew to the better place, in that better place where lilies were more beautiful, where life was fuller. The flower told itself it would truly be a lily worthy of the name. But alas, they never made it. High in the heavens, rootless, and finally free of its former constraints, the lily withered, and the lily died. From an earthly perspective, every single person in this room can think of a better circumstance. Every one of you can think of a better circumstance because the grass is always greener on the other side. The grass is 
always greener on the other side. The other side promises it, but it can never deliver contentment. In fact, the, the grass on the other side often does just the opposite because when you live your life trying to get to that patch of green grass, whatever it is, if, that's a big if, if you arrive there, you arrive there disappointed because it never delivers the happiness or the contentment you thought it would. And so you get to that patch of grass and you look to the next patch of green grass and every successive hop, you get more disillusioned and more unhappy, realizing that that new circumstance never brings the contentment that your heart's looking for. What patch of green grass do you daydream about? What patch of green grass do you fall asleep at night thinking about? Whatever it is, whatever new circumstance that is, it will never bring contentment. It will never bring contentment. Where is contentment found? Not in circumstances. Second, second, not in stuff. You know, the thought is if my circumstances stink, then maybe I can just acquire enough stuff to find contentment. And the Apostle Paul, he talks about circumstances in Philippians 4, but then he talks about stuff in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now, now Paul makes two really insightful points here regarding the attempt to find contentment in stuff. And when I say stuff, I just mean materials and possessions and money. He makes two points. First, he says, you didn't bring anything into the world, you take nothing out of the world. In other words, what he's saying there is that you were created by God and brought into this world. And the day's coming when you will move out of this world into a new world, a new earth, but you'll move out of this world into an eternity either with or without God. And Paul's point is, you don't take your bank account or your investment account out of this world into the new heavens and the new earth. You don't take your car or your home out of this world into the new heavens and the new earth. You don't take it with you. If this life is all there is, let's just say 70, 80 years, maybe a little bit more, maybe less, but if, if this life is all there is, if you ceased to exist before you were born and you will cease to exist after you die, at the end of whatever length of life you have, if this life is it, then it makes complete sense to eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, to acquire as much as you can and to enjoy as much as you can if this life is it. But what Paul says here is, no, no, you were made by God and brought into this world. 
And there's a day coming when you will leave the world to spend eternity with God in a new world, but you'll spend eternity with God or without God, depending on what you do with Christ, which we'll get to in a moment. But Paul's point is there's an eternity, and your life on this earth is relatively short compared to eternity. And if you will live forever, then it makes sense that contentment is found outside of this world in the one who made you, in the one who made you, and the one who you will spend eternity with. Now, this raises a question. So am I not supposed to enjoy this world? Like, am I not supposed to enjoy a nice meal or the vacation we're taking this summer? Or am I not supposed to enjoy my home? Or, you know, am I supposed to not to enjoy anything in this world? No, not at all, because stuff's not the problem. Right, stuff is not the problem. And that's where Paul picks up here. It's, it's the contentment, it's, it, the problem is finding contentment in the stuff and not in the God who gives you the stuff, right? Paul picks that up in the, in the, in the other point here he's making, this insightful point. He says that searching for contentment in the stuff actually doesn't just not work, it actually brings discontentment. So it's not that it just doesn't work, it actually brings discontentment. He says the desire to be rich will plunge you ultimately into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, there's nothing wrong with money. The love of money is the root of evil. It's the love of stuff, thinking this stuff will make me content. And here's the other point about that. If you're searching for contentment in stuff, the stuff in and of itself doesn't bring contentment. It's just the means of you getting to what you think will bring happiness and contentment. A couple examples with money. So money delivers or promises to deliver potentially pleasure and comfort which is what really you think will make you happy and content. Or money can deliver or promise to deliver status or reputation or approval, which that may be what you think will make you content. Or money can deliver or promise to deliver power and control. And it's control and power that really is what you think will bring contentment. Or money can promise to deliver security. And security ultimately is what you think will bring contentment. So finding contentment in stuff is really searching for contentment in the things that stuff, that stuff brings. Last October, actress Lori Laughlin started a two-month prison sentence in a federal prison for her role in a college admissions scandal. Not only did she get two months in federal prison, but then she also, upon release, would have to serve uh, 100 hours of community service and pay a $150,000 fine. Her husband got assigned to five months in federal prison, $250,000 fine, and 250 hours of community service. They both pled guilty to fraud the fraud of attempting to get their daughters into the University of Southern California in 2019. 
They paid the organizer of this scandal $500,000 to get this organizer to get their daughters in as crew team members to USC, even though they had never rode ever in their lives. The U.S. district judge said to her during the hearings this, here you are an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in southern, sunny California, a fairy tale life, yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. There was a, a research study in which they asked a bunch of people this question. How much would it take for you to have enough money? And the answers were remarkably similar, regardless of what income level people were at. The answer that most people gave was, we need about 10% more to feel comfortable and to be content. And that was people that had been asked that made anywhere from 30,000 a year to 60,000 a year to 250,000 a year to a million a year. They all said about 10% more. By its very nature, greed is endless and never assuaged. It's always, it's always 10% more. So where is contentment found? We've been in the negative for a long time. It's not found in circumstances. It's not found in stuff. Contentment is found in Christ alone. In Jesus Christ alone. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, which means I, I shall lack nothing. I shall lack nothing. It's because the Lord is David's shepherd because the Lord is leading him that he can say, I lack nothing. It's not because of David's good circumstances that he says, I lack nothing. It's not because David, as a rich king with wealth at his fingertip, lacks nothing. He says, I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is leading me. David was a shepherd at one point, and he knew that left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They're very helpless animals. And in the same way, you and I lack everything when we're left to ourselves. Because when we're left to ourselves, meaning left to shepherd and lead ourselves to be our own shepherds, then we have no choice but to look to circumstances or to look to stuff to find contentment or maybe to look at a philosophy system or to look at the latest kind of self-help techniques. We're, we're left looking to something, a changed circumstance or more stuff to find contentment. And so if you are your own shepherd, meaning that you are 
left to yourself to lead yourself, then by definition, you will be a discontented person. Now, you may have moments, you may have seasons of contentment, but you will ride the wave of, through circumstances and stuff and whatever it may be, and over, overall, you will live a discontented life. Back to Philippians 4, when Paul says that he learned the secret, the secret of being content. His secret in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that Christ, this verse gets misinterpreted a lot. It doesn't mean that Christ gives you the strength to do whatever you want. Whatever you decide to do, Christ is gonna strengthen you to do it. That's not what the verse means. In the context, all things, what Paul is saying is in all things. Whether I am in a season of need or a season of abundance, whether I am in the pit or whether I am on the mountaintop, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I am content because Christ, strengthens me. In fact, one chapter earlier in Philippians, Paul writes this in Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Contentment is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Contentment is not found in a set of circumstances or a pile of possessions. It is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing Christ. So the question is, is knowing Christ of surpassing worth to you? And I ask that question because your contentment hinges on it. Your contentment hinges on knowing Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine an eight-year-old boy who's playing with a toy truck, and the truck breaks. What does an eight-year-old boy who's playing with a toy truck and the truck breaks, what does he do? He loses it. <laughs> he loses his stuff, starts crying, wailing. Screams to his parents, mommy, daddy, daddy, fix this truck, fix it, right? Horrible circumstances, my truck broke. Daddy, you gotta fix it. Can't be happy without this truck. Now imagine in that moment, as he's crying, the father says to his eight-year-old son, a distant relative you've never met has just died and left you $100 million. What's that eight-year-old boy gonna say in response to that? He's gonna keep crying, Daddy, fix my truck. Because he doesn't have the cognitive capacity to know what his true condition is and be consoled by it. In the same way, we don't have the spiritual capacity to know all that we have in Christ, the riches that we have in Christ. That's why Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, writes, 
prays that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit to grasp the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's not strengthening to do a task. That's being strengthened to grasp, to understand the love of Christ and the riches of the love of Christ. We, we are like the eight-year-old boy who rests his happiness and his contentment in a circumstance, not realizing all that we have in Jesus Christ. Who or what is attempting to steal your contentment? Who or what's attempting to steal your contentment? Maybe somebody criticized you this past week. Maybe you bought something or invested in something that turned out to be less valuable than you thought. Maybe something you wanted to happen didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. Maybe a close friendship has begun to deteriorate. These are all real losses. They're real losses. But if, you, if they steal your contentment, then you've forgotten all that you have in Christ. We're like the child who's crying over the broken truck, not realizing that his relative has left him a hundred million dollars that he can buy a hundred million trucks with. These losses that you and I face in life, they're real. They're real, but they pale in comparison. They pale in comparison to the riches that you have in Jesus Christ, the riches you have in a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you're not there yet, the riches that you can have by trusting Jesus Christ. Contentment is found in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we so often search for contentment in circumstances or in stuff and forget that we, we lack nothing if we're in Christ. That whatever circumstance we're in or whatever situation you bring us to, it, it comes from your hand, that you're sovereign over it and that we can rest in that circumstance because we rest in you, Jesus, and in you alone. Father, may we be able to profess with our hearts because you give us strength by your spirit to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing.
Father, would knowing Christ, being in relationship with Christ, be of surpassing worth to us. And for us to, re- to grasp that, your spirit has to give us that capacity to know that, to believe that, to live out of that. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.